When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Last night, Kevin Durant returns for the Nets. He shoots the ball five times. He scores 17 points. He makes all of them. And the Nets win by 28. And this is going on at a time where you have the two best teams in the Western Conference battling it out in overtime in Utah and Phoenix. And we're left today kind of looking at, it seems like there's the Nets and then there's a huge drop-off in the NBA. And you've just written a piece, Stephen, talking about how they're clearly the class of the league. And I'm, I'm just curious if there's, if there's any way anybody could contort an opinion around them not being the presumptive favorite. Well, they haven't played all together yet, really. I mean, there's still the possibility as unlikely as it seems that Durant and Kyrie and Harden, there really won't be enough basketballs, you know, and all the supporting players won't get enough touches or whatever. But I, I, I don't, I don't see how that can happen the way that Harden plays. Like he's just, he kind of becomes the point guard. He's been a point guard for the last few years. And I don't know, they're all just too good and have too much experience playing with other stars and sharing the load that if they lose, it's going to be because of injuries, because one of them or more of them is not there. Like even the Lakers, if, I mean, LeBron and Anthony Davis, if they're healthy, can win. They can beat them. But it's, it would be an incredible accomplishment. It seems like the hope for the other teams in the league are that all three of these superstars are playing at the same time and they fight over who gets to hold the basketball, who gets to take the final shot. It's like their best hope is that the Nets have so much of an embarrassment of riches that they can't figure it out. You mentioned earlier, the three stars have barely played together. They've played seven games, but I looked into some of the things that have been used as knocks on the Nets going, going, uh, going into this season. And they've been really, really efficient on offense, right? So we know that they're second in the league in scoring per game, but I thought that this was really interesting. You would think that a team that's having trouble meshing together and sharing the basketball would not be doing well on the assist token they're fourth in assists and they're not 
jacking up shots at an unreasonable pace. They're actually playing like middle of the league uh, in terms of tempo. So I think that there's kind of a misconception that this Nets team is running and gunning and trying to do like something that the Suns were doing with Steve Nash getting a shot up within seven seconds of the, the shot clock. They're actually playing at a composed, measured pace. And I think that's reflective of being a team full of veteran guys who are comfortable having the ball in their hands and creating their own shot and waiting for the right shot. So all of these things that have been used to forecast trouble for the Nets really haven't come true. And they haven't come true in the backdrop of, I would say some pretty bad injury luck for them this year and then throw in Kyrie's absences. Yeah. They're, they're all just so proficient as half court players. I mean, none of them made a reputation for themselves as like, like Blake Griffin did, you know, where it's just like, you get out on the break, you run, you dunk it. These are, these are guys that are all just so skilled individually in a half court offense and they've all been in positions where they play with other stars and they're happy throwing the ball around the half court, passing the ball quickly and efficiently until somebody gets a great look. You know, it's like Kevin Durant when he was with the Warriors. Who Do you remember who was the closer on that team? It was probably Durant. But I mean, how many, how many times were they in a situation like that where, where it comes down to that last shot? And there's going to be that Scotty Pippen moment where the play gets drawn up for Ku coach. I just don't see it happening with the Nets. No, it does. There does seem to be a level of maturity on display. And then you look as weird. It, it is. It's not, it's not what we expected, but I mean, I think that that's, I think that people underestimated uh, the thought process that went in, in, in getting these guys all together. I think like maybe they, it's not so much a deal with the devil. They're like, okay, well, if I get in this situation, I'm going to have to be this way. So on the front end, they accepted that before they even decided to join forces with, with this super team. And I think that's another thing too. The super team has existed for what, eight years in the, in the NBA, or if you want to count, if you want to count the heat, it's, you know, a little over a decade, it's only natural that we're going to learn more about how they should work. And players are going to learn more about how they should approach being in them as time goes on. I think that obviously it worked with LeBron um, and and Dwayne Wade in Miami, not to the level that they had hoped. Uh, It's hard to say that it was a disappointment, but it, it kind of was, it worked in golden state until it didn't it was derailed by injury so i think that what's happening is the super team is getting perfected and and ironed out and people are figuring out their roles like you bring in aldrich you bring in griffin what the the warriors taught us i think was the importance of the people outside the big three come playoff time right andre iguodala um, what w- was always there. Uh, I mean, Quinn cook had some big games. It was about finding these pieces that could, that could rise up to the occasion. And you wrote something interesting in your piece that I didn't know. Um, and, and that, that is with Joe Harris is shooting the highest field goal percentage from three point of his career and Jeff green 
you have Blake Griffin, who has been the focal point of opposing defenses for so long, getting to be like the fourth or fifth wheel. It's really, it, it starts from the top and it's kind of like, uh, it works its way down to create matchup problems one through potentially eight, which I think is, is so is going to be so powerful come playoff time. Yeah. And it's, it's weird. You know, you mentioned like maturity. These are three people that within the last few months, we haven't really uh, thought of them as the most mature adults. Kevin Durant just had the Michael Rappaport thing. Uh, James Harden, you know, kind of ate his way out of Houston, party his way out of Houston, it seemed. And Kyrie just went AWOL. And we, I mean, if the Nets are cool with it, then what does it matter what we think? But like, he just kind of abandoned his team. And so there's obviously this, a difference between uh, real life maturity and basketball maturity. And these guys are all very mature basketball players. Um, and yeah, having the right guys around, I mean, that, that's, that's building any team. And then, so the super team is building around three stars instead of like, I mean, you have to go back to like LeBron on the Cavs originally when it was trying to you know, you're trying to build around that one guy and then their focus was getting that second guy and they never really, they never got him in Cleveland, but they still won a ton of games because you're building around LeBron and you're getting the right pieces that fit. And then once you're in Miami with Wade and Bosch and then the right pieces that fit Mario Chalmers and Norris Cole on the Cavs in the uh, early two thousands, nobody would care. They'd be Bobby Gibson and uh, Delonte West, but you put them on the Heat with LeBron and Wade and Bosch, and they're champions. Yeah, and I think one of the things that got undervalued in the offseason uh, was, you know, Steve Nash being able to figure out how to run this team. Like in retrospect, it makes a lot of sense to say, okay, well, he was a point guard for championship level teams. Um, he knows how to handle big personalities. He knows more than anybody how to share the basketball uh, from his coaching mindset. I think that that is a huge factor. There was a lot of doom and gloom that he wouldn't be able to manage the personalities that he wouldn't be coaching the team. But in a way, he has the most difficult coaching job of all in the playoffs because he has to figure out a rotation that makes some sort of sense. Um, and, and, and get the most out of it. I mean, it's like if he succeeds, he will not be given any credit, even though he should. And if he fails, it'll ultimately come down to it'll be his fault for not figuring out the right thing. So it's a it's a thankless job. I think I'd rather be in the situation where you have three all time great players and then a, a, a deep bench than uh, than not have those things. But he does seem to be kind of in this uh, Rodney Dangerfield type existence. Oh, oh, because he doesn't get respect. I thought you were making a ladybugs reference. Well, no, I mean, you know, I don't actually don't too. I don't know too much about Dangerfield's coaching style and ladybugs. Can you can you give me like the elevator pitch on that? Well, he dressed up his stepson or his, his girlfriend's son as a girl and had him come on and dominate. Um, I don't think he would get away with that in the NBA today. But for for Nash, you know it. It's one of those things like how important is the coach? I mean, if Phil Jackson is coaching like, I don't know, the Milwaukee Bucks in the 90s, 
Did they win any championships? Or was he just in the right place at the right time that he got to coach Michael and Scotty and then uh, Kobe and Shaq? Um, you know, so maybe, maybe Phil, for whatever he did with the triangle, maybe he was just a better manager of people than like somebody who's great at X's and O's. And if Steve Nash, who knows if Steve Nash is great at X's and O's, um, as long as he can manage the Jims and Joes, as uh, Charles Barkley would say. Yeah, I mean, Barkley is uh, one of our great basketball minds. Um, I guess the last question on the Nets then is, is we were kind of having an internal discussion in Slack this morning if they're a team that's easy to root for. What's your take on that? Liam said that, you know, they're, they're fun to watch because they're so good at putting the ball in the basket, but I'm going to enjoy when they lose. And I, as like, as a LeBron Stan myself, you know, I'm always going to be rooting for LeBron and over the last decade, that's meant rooting against Kevin Durant a lot as awesome as he is to watch play basketball. And like, I don't know, Kyrie is just, He's amazing to watch, but like watching him have struggles in Boston was a lot of fun. I understand. And Harden rubs everyone the wrong way. And Durant, you know, joining super teams, people didn't like that. Um, and Kyrie just seems polarizing. You know, Uncle Drew didn't, didn't make him as popular as he probably hoped in the movie. Um, but I don't know. They're they're they are fun to root against, but you know they're awesome. So what can you do? Yeah, I, I think I kind of agree with that take. Uh, I think in that way they are similar to the Warriors. Like I I always rooted against the Warriors because for like you, I I'm a LeBron guy, and it was a really good opponent for him to play against because you appreciated the games were fun. It was awesome to watch what they did. And, and if they won, you couldn't be too mad about it because it was like yeah. they were reinventing basketball. And I think if this big three stays together and essentially like, a, you know, kind of like a big five, big six right now, uh, I mean, how, how broad can this tent be? I think we'll look back at this is the, this is the point where the super team was really perfected, whether that's good for the NBA uh, in the long term or not uh, r remains to be seen. Let's take a brief pause to make some money. Big news in the late night comedy scene as Fox News debuted Gutfeld from Greg Gutfeld. It's a nightly 11 p.m. show. Um, we are three days in. Uh, if you follow the site you've, and you follow us on Twitter, you've seen that we are absolutely fascinated by this. And Stephen, I know that you've been enjoying watching the clips on social, posting them on the website. And, and last night was your first chance to kind of catch it live. And I want to be perfectly clear here. I, I, it's a tough thing to do. It is super hard to present any type of television show. It's hard to do comedy. I think it's almost impossible to do comedy on Fox News, CNN, MSNBC. It's, it seems like a losing proposition. Uh, and, and I think that Gutfeld is actually 
halfway decent on the five for, for the, the role that he's supposed to play kind of like as this witticist, this writer type type person, uh, you know, like loosening his tie, complaining about the, uh, the news of the day and making cracks. Having said all that, it's been a long time since we've seen a program that has this specific energy. So how would you describe that energy? It's very strange, every, every bit of it, from the development to the execution. Like why, whose idea was it that they needed a 11 p.m. late night comedy show on Fox News? I think they think that it's something they need, that they feel that there's no... The right doesn't have a comedy. Every show, every late night show is thought of as liberal. And, you know, they probably do all lean more liberal. So they're like, well, why don't we have that? But for it to be on Fox News, I mean, news is in the channel name. It's just, it's very off brand. The idea of it is off brand. And then the actual show kind of seems like there are other shows you know it's it's five panelists sitting around talking and not doing much comedy even if they do have guests who have resumes that say comedy comedian or um different entertainers it's just it's strange it, it, it was a there were some choices made I think that's kind of the most interesting part of this conversation is the choices that were made in order to get this thing greenlit and on the air. And then the choices that they're going to have to make going forward, because in terms of comedy, it's not hitting the mark now. And I think that it's probably not resonating even with people who are ideologically aligned with what the show is trying to say. It's just not there um, it's an hour long, which I can't believe. Like I, you've watched this show for two minutes and you're like, okay, well, at least they only have 22 minutes to fill. And then you realize they have like 46 and you're like, what, what happened here? Like, they're not going to make it. And, and the three days have been like this Herculean effort to get to the, get to the midnight on all of them. And we're three days in what I thought they would do after the first show did not go very well uh by all accounts is i thought they would probably shift and they'd probably move it more like their other shows where where greg would be sitting in the chair and be more commentary uh it would probably be a little lean more into bill maher than saturday night live i think that the problem is it's there it's trying to be the response to three things it's trying to be the response to saturday night live it's trying to be the response to jimmy kimmel and it's trying to be the response to bill maher right so you just have this hodgepodge of things you're trying to execute and all three of those things are different skill sets like it took all of them so long to establish a footing and get good at what they're trying to do I would say they could probably just turn it more into a discussion show like the five and that would be their best course of action, but they just went on this fairly 
bold press tour or all the all the talk leading up to it was saying about how it was going to be the late now night alternative how it was going to be a funny show so they it seems to me that they've painted themselves into a corner uh that they need to be this comedy show when it is extremely clear that they probably need to lean more uh into free-flowing conversation um three days in i think we're going to get to friday but but in all honesty is this show going to make it a month? It, 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 I really cannot stress how bizarre of an experience it is. Uh, and through that lens, it's the most entertaining hour on television right now because you're kind of, you tune in to see what's going to happen, but that can't last forever because eventually the novelty wears off. So what do you think the long-term prospects here are going to be for Gutfeld? Well, what they need to do is they need to pivot. They either need to pivot the format of the show or how they're trying to sell the show. If they want to be the, the uh, conservative answer to uh, late night talk shows, then that's what they should be. But like Kimmel and Fallon and Colbert, they are, they are liberal people who have... Um, talk show, comedy shows comedy talk shows and they don't book their guests based on their political affiliations they just have guests on they interview them and when the opportunity presents itself i mean with kimmel and colbert more i mean fallon had trump on he was he did the hair tussle and he he probably isn't really that liberal you know he's just he exists as like jimmy fallon I mean, what is Ryan Seacrest? No one knows. So just have Gutfeld do his comedy monologue if he wants to do it, and then have guests on to sit on the couch, which they don't have, and they can talk about whatever, and people can come on to sell things. You know, like they do, that's the reason you go on these talk shows is to promote something. None of, the, none of his guests are promoting anything really. This uh, Gutfeld is set up more like tough crowd with Colin Quinn, which was excellent on Comedy Central. Colin had all these different comedians on, both conservative and liberal, if you go back and look at the people who were on it. It's set up like tough crowd where he kind of sits there with four friends and just talks about stuff. And even tough crowd, like they just had a topic and talked about it. What Gutfeld does is they're going in trying to make conservative points and laugh at liberals. And it just, as a comedy show, which they're billing it as, it, it's not. I think you've hit the main problem on the head here when it comes to guests. Uh, if you've tuned in, I didn't catch the names of, of some of his top-billed non-Fox family guests from the first few days, but I would say... The last two nights, they've been some of the worst television performances I've ever seen out of a guest to the point where you feel very bad and sympathetic for the person because they're just in over their head and they're swimming on live TV and they're not giving anybody else on the panel what they need. They're not, they're not elevating the show. It's like everybody's trying to throw them a life preserver. That's on the first two nights of the show. So what do we realistically think in terms of guest booking they can do because 
the collection of people they can get for the show is already small. Uh, they can keep cycling in people from the Fox family and say, you need to go on this and to promote, promote our other shows on Fox nation. But what do you, I mean, what are you going to have like Tim Allen on every week? Like what, what are you going to do? Like there's a, there's not a deep bench when it comes to conservative comedians who are going to want to come on this show uh, for free. So I don't really know how you solve that problem. And it seemed like an entire, an entirely foreseeable one because you can't just fix it by saying, okay, well now we're going to bring in current politicians who want to get more time on Fox news and see if they can be funny. Because if you think it's not going well now, that's only going to make it go worse. If you try to get politicians on there trying to be funny. Uh, I mean, maybe it makes it more interesting, but that, that, that's a way you can't really go. So it seems like they've painted themselves into so many corners and they need to pivot, but they have so much invested already in it being a comedy show that they, that they can't pivot. But that, I mean, pivoting would be like the best form of advertisement for this show. Just, I mean, that's why they, they won't do it because you have to say, we messed up. We misfired. I mean, it's not like they sent, this isn't the sport million dollar sports center set or whatever it was. You know, this is five chairs on a soundstage. They can switch that out. They can take a couple chairs away. They can put a desk out there. They can get a couch. You know, they can say, you know, we were wrong, but we, we like, we like some of what we had. We think there's potential and there's good bones here. I mean, there's not, but they can sell it as that. We want to retool. We want to figure out what works best to, to promote and to make Greg look good. And then you figure out how to bring in guests and there are people out there. They can, they can bring them in to, to be guests. People live there. People go through LA and New York. You can, you get a booker. You get a couple comedy writers. These are things that, I don't know, I, like I looked up the IMDB of some of the guests last night and their previous, uh, most of their credits are like from uh, The Five or whatever, Gutfeld's other shows. They're running out of things fast. I mean, this is uh, like Chelsea, Chelsea Lately was another kind of example of this, you know, where it's just a few people, few friends or colleagues drop by and talk about the news but i mean they didn't go out there trying to like be an answer to anything you just have to have, just have an organic conversation it's and it's hard that's you know you these people are on tv but it's hard to be on tv it's hard to do podcasting sometimes i'm not great at it i wouldn't be great on the uh, gutfeld couch i just think it's such a herculean task to try to write an hour long show five times a week. I, I know some people who, uh, who know Jordan Klepper. Um, and when he was doing the shows, you know, when he was on the daily show, when he had his own show, the opposition, it was basically like, he was like the hardest working person in, in the world. And I think John Oliver has talked about this uh, maybe on a podcast with, with Conan O'Brien about how you need to know everything about the news at all times, like you have to be as as well informed as um, 
as the people who are going to be reading the straight news, but then also funny enough to come up with something poignant and, and humorous and, and like adaptable to do that. So it's just like, it looks fun to crack wise on it, but it takes a tremendous amount of work. And I wonder if everybody was fully prepared for what that would, what that would be, because writing that show every single, every single day is, is gotta be so difficult Saturday Night Live is once a week. You got about like 30 minutes of comedy material in it. If you take out the recordings and you have a team of, of God knows how many writers. Uh, but the nightly comedy shows are relying on the guests and the musical act to eat up a half hour of that time anyway. So they're not putting together an hour of content. Like, does it, do you get musicians in there? Do you do longer interviews? Like, do you do recorded bits? I, I really, I really don't know. Cause they have to do something because if they keep trying to do an hour of what they're doing now, they're not going to make it. And the last thing I want to say on this is the energy reminds me of something that would have happened like in the early nineties uh, on some of those Fox late night shows with uh, Magic Johnson, or I know Arsenio Hall was, was, was good. I think John Sally had one. It was just the, an odd assortment of people would get a variety show at an hour and you would watch it and you would never know what to expect. And some of them immediately you were like, oh, this is just, uh, this probably is something that's not going to be happening next year. Yeah. I hadn't even thought about that. The, the fact that a regular late night show has musical acts or like a comedian. And so there's just, they're trying, they're in a way they're trying to do more. I mean, the panel is, is supposed to eat up a lot of the time, but like you're, you're missing out on five to 10 minutes from a musical act where you get to introduce them and they play a song and then maybe you can say hi to them. I don't know, aside from the constraints of the set, I don't know why you wouldn't do that. You know, I mean, they're conservative musicians so you can have them on and but it's also 2021 they can do this remotely they can have musical their people are doing entire concerts online they can have somebody set up in their home recording studio and do a performance and put it on gutfeld and boom there's seven minutes in commercials 100 agree i i think it'll be it'll be a fun watch for a while and 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 it's just amused me and I know it's amused you in such a specific way. And, and I've noticed it too, just anecdotally on Twitter, how the day starts and people are already starting to talk about how many hours it is until the next show. And then when it comes on, the, cl the clips come on and as people discover the show. So if you haven't checked it out, you definitely should watch it live and kind of like catalog how you feel, because I, I promise it's been a while since you had the experience. All right, Stephen, thank you for joining me. Get back to work, please. Okay, thank you. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. 
Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.